Hello my friends, welcome back to Gardo Goes Geek for a Halloween special. The first of two I have planned this year. This one is focusing on Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell's horror trilogy of the Evil Dead. I had never seen the Evil Dead before and it's always been one that's been on my list. And so this Halloween, I decided to sit down and watch all three films. And I have things to say about them. Some good, some bad. But these seem to be three films that are very beloved in geek culture. And I think they'd be fun to dig into. So please join me as we discuss The Evil Dead. Join us! I have to be honest, I can't recall the first time I heard about Ash Williams and the Evil Dead. It was just something I was vaguely aware of for pretty much a long time. And when Sam Raimi was announced to be directing Spider-Man, which obviously uh, myself as a kid, I was, I was very interested in that, <laughs> you know... Um, you know, Sam Raimi was announced as the director of The Evil Dead, and me also being, you know, a bit of a fan of zombies at the time, and especially the, you know, the, the George Romero films and the Resident Evil games, um, you know, that sort of link to Evil Dead, which I knew was a zombie movie, but that was pretty much the only thing I knew about it. Um, you could vaguely describe it as a zombie film. But I remember uh, playing, you know, watching the Spider-Man films. More importantly, playing the Spider-Man games, which were also narrated by Bruce Campbell. Um, and just finding him very funny. And, you know, so when I found out that there's a series called The Evil Dead, and he's in it, and he's the main character, and everything that you see in that persona and his other characters is there as Ash Williams... Oh, and he also has a chainsaw hand and a shotgun. Yeah, damn right I was interested in watching this. Um, but I, for some reason I never got round to it. I, I, you know, I never. The, the movies never seemed to be on any streaming services that I could find. Or if they were, they were only available for rental. They weren't included as part of any packages. Um quite possibly due to some nebulous rights issues around them um you know being more independent films um even when the 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 reboot film came out a few years ago i remember thinking sure that looks interesting but i'm not not as sold as i could be i say a few years ago it was nearly a decade ago i i had um other things going on in 2013, unfortunately, which meant I missed that film in the cinema. I I remember thinking it looked incredibly gory and very, very cool. Um, and the fact that they were doing a lot of the special effects without CGI, like they were doing a lot of practical effects and a lot of... like the, I remember reading a story that they were doing the same sort of training that people do when they do magic to do those sort of effects and I'm like 
Okay, that does sounds very clever. So they could try and capture as much in camera as possible. Um, and I just remember thinking that was that was very very cool, very interesting. I've still yet to see that particular Evil Dead film. I bought uh, all three on as a trilogy on Blu-ray, but I haven't bought that one yet. Um, that will probably be in the future. Um, but. You know, the trailers for it definitely looked interesting. I also uh, found out that obviously Evil Dead had been one of the original video nasties in the UK. It had been banned. Um, there was a, a notorious scene involving a tree rape, um, which, yeah, to me is probably the most egregious scene in the whole film that, that just seems unnecessary and it's one that even Sam Raimi has said he's he's not particularly fond of looking back at it um and I can totally see why I think it's the um, the one particular scene that I would probably remove from the film or at least trim back but then I also saw scenes of the film and the deadites in Evil Dead they're not zombies in any way that I've seen before they were they were talking they were acting they were using weapons they were they were very different to zombies as i'd come to expect zombies to be and of course that piqued my curiosity um and so yeah i eventually saw some clips online i tried to stay away from huge spoilers i knew that ash had his hand possessed by a demon and ends up cutting it off with a chainsaw and then replacing it with the chainsaw. But I knew very, very little else about the plot of the two movies, except for the main thing, which is that Ash ends up in a cabin in the woods with his friends and girlfriend. They read from the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, the Book of the Dead, and unleash this demonic evil that possesses people. That was all I knew. And that is basically the intro <laughs> to all three of the films. It's like the main plot of the first film and is briefly summarised as an intro of the other two. And that is that is all I knew about The Evil Dead. And I'm still quite glad that I managed to go into these films almost completely blind. The actual films themselves, they um, were created by... Sam Raimi, who, like I said, obviously I knew from Spider-Man, but, you know, this was his big break. He was a film student who was working in Super 8, um, you know, making films of his own. And, you know, as, as filmmaking became cheaper, well, not cheaper, but more affordable for everyday people, he was one of those people who would get involved in making these films, making his own films. You know, as part of a wave of who at the time were up-and-coming film directors in the 70s. People like Spielberg, George Lucas. Um, you know, riding the cusp of that. And Sam Raimi, with his friends, um, you know, Bruce Campbell, who plays Ash, and uh, Robert Tappet, they made a little Super 8... A horror film, almost as like a, a proof of concept that was called Within the Woods. Now, Within the Woods acted almost as like a a short demo reel 
um, like a proof of concept thing um, that Sam Raimi and Tapper and Campbell all used to then sort of acquire funding to try and make um, their own feature film. And it worked. They got they they would show it to people and people would say, We like this, we'll give you some money. Um and they end up getting money not just from film industry types, but travelling salesmen, um, self made entrepreneurs, even people in their hometown who just believed in them and wanted to give them some money and maybe see a return on their investment one day. And in the director's commentary of the first film, Sam Raimi actually reveals those people are still making money off this film, even 40 years later, nearly. So, yes, very, very good for them. They didn't meet their initial funding goal, though. Um, they were hoping to get... I believe they said $90,000 um, to make the film. They didn't get that. Um, but they would said, you know, we can make this anyway, and people said yes. And then once they'd started making it, they were able to secure more money, um, mainly through the help of Irvin Shapiro. Irvin Shapiro was the film producer and distributor who had helped um, to get Night of the Living Dead out there. So he was a big name in horror and one they really wanted on board. And, you know, they showed uh, um, Ivan Shapiro the, the finished film. Irvin Shapiro, sorry. And uh, he agreed to help them distribute it and get it out. Shapiro was also one of the founders of the Cannes Film Festival. And so the film ended up being shown there as well as in, you know, several local screenings. Like they showed it at Detroit's Redford Theatre, um, where Bruce Campbell had grown up watching movies. And at Cannes, it was seen by Stephen King, whose rave review of the first Evil Dead film became a huge selling point. And that screening actually took place in 1982, so 40 years ago. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Um, you know, the film went on to be a huge success. Um made far more than its initial budget but despite having a limited release due to being an X certificate in America um, and you know it was definitely successful and it got Sam Raimi noticed as a a filmmaker in Hollywood and led to him taking on other roles and getting noticed by more and more people and that was what led to him to have a and eventually that film career would spawn two more sequels. Um, the first in 1987, so 35 years ago, was Evil Dead 2. And then the second sequel, Army of Darkness, um, was released under Universal. And that came out in 1992. So, again, 30 years ago. So, yeah, a lot of anniversaries here, which were... Weren't planned by me, but just happened to be quite fortuitous um, when it came to actually deciding that this is what I wanted to work on for Halloween this year. Yeah, the films are, are good. They have a cult following. Um, you know, some of them weren't quite as financially successful. Army of Darkness barely made its money back, for example, but it went on to become this huge cult hit. 
And there are quotes from Army of Darkness that I have heard in films and video games and just pop culture throughout the years, um, despite not knowing where they came from. Well, or in some cases, maybe having an idea where they came from. Um, and, you know, this this rags-to-riches story of a, a young aspiring filmmaker obviously became hugely influential, very, very popular. Um, and these films went on to to be successful, to be referenced, to influence other works. You know, th other things in the horror and zombie genre especially took ideas that were in these films and ran with them. So, yeah. Evil Dead is a success story. And the franchise still going strong. Um, we had the three-season uh, Ash vs. the Evil Dead series. The first season of which I have actually watched. It came onto Netflix a while ago and I was able to watch it all. Um, and that was actually my first experience of the Evil Dead and of this character, Ash. And, oh my god, it's hilarious. Um... It gets very creepy and spooky towards the end, but the opening episode is hilarious and has some fun set pieces and just stupid moments that made me laugh my ass off. <laughs> they really did. Really made me laugh my ass off. And... Yeah, more of that is definitely a good thing. Um, and so I'm looking forward to getting around and watching uh, season two and season three at some point. And the the remake movie from 2013 is also getting a sequel, um, which is due to come out next year. It's going to be called Evil Dead Rise. And, you know, I'll probably catch up on both of them and watch them at some point next year. Um, and then, of course, this year as well has also seen the release of Evil Dead the game, um, you know, the, the 4v1 multiplayer um, battling game, which seems to be very in these these asymmetrical versus games. And I think Ash as well has also appeared in Dead by Daylight. Um, but this, uh, the Evil Dead game, I haven't played it myself yet, but I've been told it's, you know, it's not, not usually the sort of game I play. Like, I, I, I don't know, I liked Evil Dead, uh, not Evil Dead, Left 4 Dead years ago um but yeah it's um multiplayer matchmaking i find a, its own particular brand of hell um but saying that it doesn't look bad i you know it looks very good it's got a lot of characters from the series coming back um not just characters from the newer film or from ash and the versus the evil dead but also characters from all three of these films like ash is present four times in one of each of the character classes, depending on which version of Ash you're playing, um, you know, from which film or... So, let's dig into Evil Dead, um, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and discuss my thoughts on the film, shall we? So, the first Evil Dead film is... Shorter than I expected. Um, it's only about 85 minutes long. Um, I quite liked it. Um, 
but it doesn't have a full movie structure. And that's that's quite true of the entire trilogy, to be fair. What they are is a collection of incredibly inventive, for the most part, scenes that are stitched together with a, a core story, well, you know, a loose story, and, um, you know, tremendous effects. Like, for the time, these were tremendous effects, especially considering the time and the budget. Like, there is stop motion in all three of these films, and I, I'm a bit of a sucker for stop motion anyway. Uh, I grew up watching old Ray Harryhausen films like Jason and the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans, so I'm a big fan of stop motion when it's done well. Um, and some of it here is very well done. Um, and some of the some of the actual the makeup effects as well are very good. Um, the first film, especially the second two, um, get very ridiculously splatter heavy. Um, but it's clear that it's meant to be ridiculous. The first one has some quite wince-inducing gore effects. Um, and despite the fact I know they're being done with, like, clay and paint and... You know, I, I know what it is. You know, the the HD transfers I was watching for the Blu-ray, it's like they've been remastered, but you can still see elements of what all these things are. And, you know, you can tell what's a puppet and what isn't, and what is a special effect and what isn't. And But it doesn't stop that some of them are gruesome to the point that you're like, ugh, that's, that's ugh, not a fan of that. Plot-wise, um, Ash goes to visit a cabin uh, in rural Tennessee with his girlfriend, Linda, and his sister, Cheryl. Although, I never got in the movie that they were actually brother and sister. I'm sure it's mentioned in dialogue, but I just didn't notice it if it was. Um, their friend, Scott, and Scott's girlfriend, Shelley. Scott is a douchebag. Do not like Scott. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit of a dick. Um, but I think he's clearly meant to be like, they're clearly playing off certain horror movie allegories. Um, I mean, they were filming this in 1979. Um, you know, Halloween came out the year before then as like the originator of the slasher. So, you know, they're, they're playing with horror movie archetypes that were, at the time, fresh and new, but now feel tired. Um, I'm going to discuss this a bit more in my second Halloween special, so uh, wait for that one. But, you know, they drive over this bridge to this small cabin. Um, the bridge is all isolated and rickety and shakes a bit while they're on it, and you think something's going to happen, but nothing does. Um... And, you know, there's there's definitely a very strong unsettling vibe throughout a lot of things in the opening. Um, and then you start getting 
what I mean when I say isolated scenes. Um, Cheryl is sitting and drawing a picture of a clock. And the clock that she's drawing stops the clock in front of her. And she then hears the demonic voice tell her, Join us! Just whispering through the walls. And then her hand suddenly becomes, like, possessed and starts drawing a picture of the book with the face on the cover. Um, and it, it's a very good scene, very unsettling. Um, but... Yeah, a good scene, very unsettling, but and seems like a good precursor of what's to happen. But it's the idea of this is just an interesting scene that they just put in. Um, and then the, the trap door flies open, so then they go into the cellar, and this is where they find the book, which in this one is called the Naturum de Monto, not the Necronomicon Ex Mortis. That becomes the next film that renames the book. And and this is where the plot really starts, because they find a tape recorder from the archaeologist, archivist, who was renting the cabin before then, or who owns the cabin. It's not entirely clear. Um, and he plays a tape where he speaks aloud the incantations from the book, and this proceeds to resurrect a demon outside, which then attacks... And, you know, attacks and possesses most of the the core cast. It seems like Cheryl is the focus character for a lot of these early scenes. She's the one that tells Scott to turn off the tape. Um, she's the one that gets agitated when the branch breaks. She's the one that gets goes outside and gets attacked by the tree. Um, you know, she's the one that pleads with Ash to take her away, take her home. And then they discover that the bridge has been destroyed. She's the one that goes hysterical. And this is where you start to realise, ah, she's not the main character here. She's going to be the first one to die. You know, she's not the final girl here. Um, you have... Um, then she becomes a deadite. She threatens the others. They trap her in the cellar. Um... You know, the voice of the demon speaks through her. She wounds Linda. Um, yeah, it's... It's very... It's very good, very unsettling. I like it. And then it, it just proceeds from there. Like, Shelley gets attacked and, you know, possessed by a demon, becomes a deadite. The demonic force is illustrated really well with just this, this floating camera that moves really fast. Um, across the environment and through the windows and around the house, uh, you know, the house, the cabin. Uh, yeah, I really like that. <laughs> really like that. And, you know, from there, um, they end up killing Shelley, dismembering her um, in quite gory fashion, but very funny as well. It's like the effects are good, um, but there's elements of just splatter that are so... A splatter always makes me laugh if it's done well. <laughs> you know, it can, it can be gruesome at times, but it could also be very, very funny. Um, and some elements of this were funny, um, but the humour would definitely become more apparent in the sequels. There's a very good scene where 
after they've dealt with Shelley and Scott has now come in, he tried to escape and got injured by the trees and just died on the couch. And Ash is sort of stuck there. Um, you know, his his best friend has died. His sister's in the cellar, chained underneath, taunting him through the through a gap through the cellar door. And then at this point, Linda has become a deadite and is just sort of sitting there cackling with glee. And it's, oh, it's so good. It was a real unsettling vibe. And you just were really wondering how Ash was going to get out of this. Because Ash in this film is not um, the heroic character that we get later on um despite the fact that ash is a dork as well like ash is you know as in evil dead 2 he is he's a bit of a dumbass at times and army of darkness also uh capitalizes on that and turns him into a bit of, in a, bit of a 90s action star um but you know he's he's a dork you know he's he's not cool he's not a hero he's you know, in this film, he's a scared kid. You know, a, a young man who is who is scared and has just lost his friends and his family. And... And, yeah, there's also some really interesting tricks with the camera um, that exemplify all three of these films. Um, but sort of start here, where you have... Um, the aspect ratio will be off, but then the, the frame has been contorted. Um, and so it makes everything seem a bit off kilter. There's um, there's Dutch angles. There's um, I'm not sure if things are being shot at a faster frame rate and then slowed down or shot at a slower frame rate and sped up. Um, there's definitely some frame rate trickery uh, for some of the more animated sequences um there's also um the director's commentary sam raimi revealed that they actually like dubbed a lot of this in adr um you know after shooting um because because of sounds on on set and things like this you know to get a cleaner sound they just basically dubbed it um and so sometimes that can leave a bit of a disconnect between the vocals and the um, what you actually see, which really helps translate the kind of unsettling um, feel. And there's one really, really good um, callback that I, I quite liked when... Um, you know, he eventually confronts Linda. He's, he he can't bring himself to dismember her, so he sort of takes her out to to bury her. And, you know, the Deadites have this thing where they'll sort of flash back from their possessed form to their normal form and kind of try and taunt you with the person that they used to be, which is so cool. It's really cool. It's the whole possession aspect rather than being undead. Um, and I really like it. And there was a bit earlier in the film where he gave her this pendant. It looks like a magnifying glass. It's like a little magnifying glass pendant. Um, and he gives it to Linda and he kind of pretends to be asleep when he's giving it to her. 
and there's a lot of tight focus on their eyes, on both Ash's and Linda's eyes, and like panning back and forth between these tight close-ups as they're kind of looking at each other and looking around each other. And then later on, when he's digging the hole, she opens her eyes in the background, and they do the exact same thing with the tight panning on the eyes as he kind of looks for her and then goes back to digging as she looks over and, and sees him. Very clever, very cool. Um, one that I did catch as a nice bit of mirroring. But yeah, the um, the biggest main set piece of the film is probably the the final confrontation where Scott and Cheryl both escape and fight Ash throughout the house and parts of the cabin get absolutely trashed um and this is after he's already he's already covered in blood because he ended up decapitating linda um outside um and so he's he's covered in her blood um and he's desperate to try and find a way to win and that's when he noticed there's that the book has ended up close to the fireplace and it's singeing and because it's it's singeing, not only is it singeing, but also Scott is. And so, you know, he fights the two off. There's lots of very gory effects. Um, like I said, with the, the real wince-inducing effect, uh, there's one where Linda's corpse kind of scratches at his leg. Um, and you see his pant leg rip. And then you see um, her fingers digging in his you know, in his leg, in his calf. And it's clearly done with, like, clay and poster paint. But, my gosh, it looked good. It was a really good effect because you could see the the depth to it as her fingers are actually in what looks like flesh. And the, the blood that um, was coming for it, oh, it was an amazing shot. Um, doesn't slow Ash down any. He's, he proceeds to then leap and jump about in the actual the fight. Um, but yeah, he manages to grab the book and throw it into the fire. And Scott and Cheryl just sort of freeze in place. And then using this stop motion effect, they rapidly decompose. And that's kind of cool on its own. But then just as that happens, these big, large arms burst out of both of the corpses drenching the whole place in blood um you know it's like the demon kind of tries to break out of them at the last minute but can't go anywhere and kind of gets sucked back in and ash sort of stumbles away into the dawn only to get pursued in the last shot by the demon uh, which you know rushes all the way through the woods and then around the cabin and straight out the front door to him <sighs> I loved it. It was it was good. This is the one I like the least, and I'm still this positive about it. It was very good. Very, very well done. And I would not think that this was someone's first major film project. It's done with a lot of knowledge, almost. Um, and a, a, there's a lot of technical stuff in this that is 
very clever. Like, there's a lot of makeup effects. There's a lot of um, stunt work, almost. There's a lot of body doubling, um, shot doubling, shot mirroring. You know, lots of camera trickery as well. You know, shots that like camera shots that are choices that are, are very definitely choices. They're not just a shot reverse shot. It, it's like no, there's thought about where the camera is going to be and what the scene is trying to convey. It's a good film, and like I said, I don't. When I say it's the one I like the least, I don't hate it by any means, but. This also doesn't feel like what Evil Dead becomes. What Evil Dead becomes is very different to what is presented here. This is presented as a very straight-up horror movie. Um, it is gruesome, it is gory, it is designed to be terrifying. And yes, there is, like I said, a bit of a haphazard, bit of a disjointed nature to it, because it's just... Scary scene, scary scene, scary scene, building scene, scary scene. You know, it's... It's just... Things. It's, it's good ideas, all thrown... It, you know, thrown in and done as to the best they can be. And it means sometimes there's not as much build-up, but then the whole film is building up as well. Um kind of hard to explain what I mean it's the characters are really undercooked um there's a lot of you know minor elements that kind of reflect later on um but the actual characters themselves are really underdeveloped I mean there are some really cool moments I mean for example, during the final scene, Ash goes back into the cellar to find... Because he's got a, a shotgun. And he goes back to find the bullets that he saw earlier when he was exploring the cellar. And it's at this point that you see, like, blood starts flowing in. Like, gallons of the stuff. It comes out of the pipes. It drips into the light bulbs. Uh, it drips over a projector, which starts projecting blood into Ash's face. It's so gory there's lashings of blood on screen and it just gives such a, a tremendous unsettling vibe they're really like um and you know we've we've been in this cellar once before um when ash and scott go down earlier on in the movie you know we've been into this cellar we've seen it we've been through these rooms with ash but now Ash is going through them in a panic, knowing that Cheryl could be down there, but she might not be down there. You know, and you know, and he's being unsettled by everything he's already experienced upstairs, and now what he's experiencing in the cellar. And yeah, it was it was good. <laughs> it was good. I don't think you know it. It, it is. Very different to what Evil Dead became. Um, you know, Evil Dead became a very... Not to say it's not scary, but it is a very tongue-in-cheek franchise. Or at least it seems to be from my experience of it. 
uh, you know, there are elements of um, Ash versus the Evil Dead, which goes back towards the end of series one to this same cabin with a new group of kids. Um, you know, and there are definite echoes to that original horror vibe and horror tone from the first film um, that I can see now that I've watched this film. But at the same time, Ash himself is a very different character. This Ash is not the Ash Williams that we come to know. No, that all starts in the next film. Evil Dead 2, um, for me, just goes bigger and better than the first one in pretty much every way. Um, now, how the film actually got made, it's, you know, Irvin Shapiro was interested in doing a sequel and... Raimi had come up with the idea of a story where Ash was sucked through a time portal to the Middle Ages where he would encounter more deadites. And Shapiro did like the concept and even took out adverts in trade magazines to promote it in 1984. Um, but it got passed on by both Universal and 20th Century Fox. And so Sam Raimi went on to make his next film, Crime Wave, with the Coen brothers. Crime Wave, however, was not successful. Um, and so, you know, Raimi, Tapper and Bruce Campbell took up Shapiro on the sequel offer, um, eager to keep their, you know, already lagging careers um, successful. They wanted, they wanted to be filmmakers, and so they carry, you know, go back to what audiences had liked. And it's around this point that another player enters the game, which is uh, Dino De Laurentiis. Um, he owned the production and distribution company De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. And he asked Sam Raimi if he'd be interested in directing an adaptation of the Stephen King novel, Thinner. Um Thinner was part of a plan uh, between De Laurentiis and King to produce uh, adaptations of several of King's uh, horror novels and short stories. Uh, Stephen King himself was actually directing the first one, uh, Maximum Overdrive, which was based on the story Trucks. Um, and while working on that and were working with people at De Laurentiis, he learned that... Um, you know, Raimi was trying to make Evil Dead 2 and was having trouble attracting funding. And King, being this huge fan of the first film, in fact, his review being the one that had helped it become a favourite at Cannes, called De Laurentiis and asked him to fund it. And while De Laurentiis was sceptical at first, he met with Raimi and the others and they highlighted that the first film had done very, very well uh, on the Italian horror market, especially. Um, as a, There was a, a big boom in Italian horror at this time. Um, you know, I spoke about George Romero's movies before. The, um, you know, the Dawn of the Dead, uh, which had released in 1985, I want to say. Um, that came that did very, very well 
when it was released in Italy got called Zombie. Um, Zombie got a a wave of sequels, which weren't actually uh, sequels to Dawn of the Dead. They were just other horror zombie movies that were being made around the same time, just marketed as subsequent zombie movies, the most famous of which, Zombie 2, um, became Zombie Flesh Eaters when released in the West. Uh, what well, the rest of the West. Italy's still in the West. Um, and Zombie Flesh Eaters was another one of the, the, the big video nasties um, due to its gore effects. Again, using clay. A lot of clay effects in that that made it very, very good. It's a very good film. I do recommend it. Um, again, bits of it could be a hard watch. There's a a moment where a character has their eye gouged out, which I found very disturbing to watch. Um, but it also has a zombie fighting a shark, so you can't not like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, De Laurentiis was um, apparently wowed within 20 minutes of meeting with uh, uh, Raimi and the others and hearing their pitch and agreed to fund Evil Dead 2 for $3.6 But he requested that the film be more similar to the predecessor rather than the medieval film-themed proposal, which would actually become the next sequel, Army of Darkness, which we'll talk about in a minute. Sam Raimi also brought someone else aboard um, for this one, which was Scott Spiegel, uh, an old friend of his who had also collaborated with Bruce Campbell and others on the Super 8 films that they had produced during their childhood in Michigan. Um, most of those films that Spiegel was involved with had been comedies, and so Spiegel wanted to make this film more, less of a straight horror than the first one and help write the script. He was um, a big Three Stooges fan, um, along with um, Sam Raimi, so they had that in, com in common, a lot of love of slapstick comedy. In fact, um, all of the Evil Dead films feature credits for what is called a fake shemp, um, which is a term sort of coined by Sam Raimi based on a Three Stooges sketch. Um, the fake shemp is essentially anyone who body doubles for one of the lead actors. And obviously the first film had several because they were shooting in the middle of winter in rural Tennessee. So, um, yeah, a lot of the characters got ill or weren't able to shoot major scenes. There were even some scenes that are almost a direct reference to uh, one of Spiegel's own short films from his um, made when he was a teenager called Attack of the Helping Hand. Um, which was based on, uh, it was kind of a parody of uh, Hamburger Helper adverts at the time. This film also, while starting almost in the immediate events after the first film, almost feels like a bit of a reboot in some ways. Um, the Necronomicon Ex Mortis is still intact in this. It has not been destroyed like the book in the original film. Um... The tapes of the archaeologist Raven Noby are different um, and make reference to his wife um, in a more overt way than they did in the original. Um, there are... There's only Ash and Linda in the cabin. Um, the others are all missing. The cabin is not in the destroyed, blood-soaked state it was at the end of the first film. Um... 
so yeah there's a there's a bit of retreading ground um we still see the the same pendant being given to uh linda we see linda being killed well turning into a dead eye and being dispatched by ash in a very similar way with having a her head cut off and then her body buried um and the effect that has on ash and then we see the evil force throwing ash through the woods um in the daylight ash himself even gets briefly possessed by the demon himself um but then the sun comes up and he's returned to normal you know he goes to the bridge and finds it's been destroyed in spectacular fashion he ends up getting chased back to the cabin um by the spirit and sees linda recover herself and there's this this very spooky stop motion dance sequence where her decomposing body puts the head back on and kind of does a dance that's very well choreographed i did like that one um very ethereal um but you know the head ends up in the house bites its hand um he takes her head to the the woodshed lots of screaming on the part of bruce campbell he is doing his best um to be a a horror movie victim lots of screaming lots of yelling as he's being chased um from room to room um this is where you start to see the the speed up slow down on the frame rate um where you know things have obviously been shot slower and sped up um but I, I like it. I think it works really well. Um, you know, his hand becomes possessed and tries to kill him. Um, there's scenes where, you know, everything in the room is laughing at him, like the lights, the cupboards, the mirrors. Um, you know, he looks in a mirror at one point in a callback to a, a shot from the first film. There's a shot in the first film where he sees the mirror and the mirror is black and there's like his reflection on a black background and he reaches out to touch it and it's water and his hand goes through it and then he kind of pulls back like, ah! Um, and that leads to, you know, the panic and the unsettling nature of it. In this, um, he leans in close to the window and then the ash from the mirror reaches out and grabs him by the shoulders um and sort of implies that he's being possessed much scarier um in its own way but also much more tongue-in-cheek um you know the first one's just very bizarre and unsettling like oh it's all perceptions of reality and he's going mad in this it's it's a bit more on the nose but, but i don't know it really worked for me Ash isn't alone throughout this movie, though. It's not just him and Linda. Um, he is joined by uh, Annie Noby, the daughter of the professor. Um, Henrietta Noby, the deadite under the cellar, um, who was turned into a deadite after the professor read the incantation and he dispatched her and buried her in the cellar. Um, so she comes up and attacks at some point. Um Annie is has her her partner, um, Professor Ed Getley. Um let's say Professor, he's a very young man. And Bobby Joe and um Jake, who are you know, the man who drives the tow truck and his girlfriend Bobby Joe, um, who help 
Annie and Ed get to the cabin. Uh, Annie has come back with new pages from the Necronomicon um, for her father to translate. She was she was still on the dig, and her father came back before her. Um, you know, they come in, they find Ash missing his hand, brandishing a shotgun, covered in blood and viscera um, after using a chainsaw to dispatch Linda in the woodshed, putting her head into a vice and cutting it up. Um, you know, they they find him mad and they assume he's killed her parents and so lock him in the cellar, which is where he then gets attacked by um, the wife. Um, it's very... Very cool. I do like it. Um, they end up sort of teaming up with Ash. Um, you know, he helps save them from Ed, who's the first one to get possessed. Bobby Joe panics, tries to escape, gets attacked by the trees again. Um, fortunately, we don't see any rape in this. Um, she just gets dragged off to her death. Um, you know, it's... The tree scene in the first one is a bit gratuitous. It is. And, like I said, Sam Raimi is commenting on that and actually says he feels maybe he went a bit too far with it. I get what he was going for, and it's very schlock, and it's very much inspired by the sort of films that were being made at the time. Um, but to me, it's the one part of the film that's aged like milk. Um, it is just a bit too gratuitous. Um to have the character moaning in the way that Cheryl does and with the the nudity um, shot in a way to almost look gratuitous, not to look terrifying, not to make her look vulnerable, but to make her look titillating. Don't like it. Um, but yeah, this is where we get the, the awesome scenes in this film, the things that become the most well-known about the character of Ash Williams, he gets the Remington shotgun, which he saws the end off of, and the chainsaw. Um, you know, and this is where... You know, he becomes the Ash Williams that we know. You know, there's elements of it at the start of this film, especially when he sort of takes command... Um, once Annie comes back and once she starts to trust him. Um, you know, he but he's also dealing with his own potential possession in this. Um, and, like, he only stops trying to kill Annie when he sees Linda's necklace. Um, which I think is quite... I, I think he acts that quite well as well. You know, Bruce Campbell's... You know, he's one of those actors, I think, he, he does does a good job. does a serviceable job. And I think he plays one particular type of character very, very well. Um, but he's trying to be, you know, emotional in that moment. And I think he does a very good job. You know, serviceable job at the very least. But yeah, the scene where he gets the, the chainsaw builds the harness for it so that he can pull the cord without having to use his other hand and he can keep the shotgun in his hand if he needs to. It's cool. 
And then he just walks up and just says, Groovy. And, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew about the Groovy years ago. Um, I don't know how. <laughs> In fact, I, I, I remember what my first exposure was to the character of Ash. My first exposure to the character of Ash was in the Marvel Zombies versus Army of Darkness crossover comic where they put Ash Williams in the Marvel Universe just as the Marvel Zombies event happens. And I remember seeing those on the newsstand, you know, not on the newsstand, at the comic shop. I remember seeing them at the comic shop and thinking, this looks really dumb and really cool. And I got it out from the library. It's it's one of those that's got tricky licensing. It's not been reprinted many times, but it was fun and Ash was fun. And that moment where you get the chainsaw and the harness and the groovy, you know, that is the start of Ash becoming fun. <laughs> and I yeah, I, I really like it. Um, it's it's dumb and it's silly, but it's fun. And, you know, then using this chainsaw hand and the shotgun, he comes in and deals with... Um, you know, deals with um, the Deadite, Henrietta, her name is. Um, you know, Professor Nobi's wife. Um, and she kind of morphs into this bizarre form, um, again, aided with stop motion effects and puppetry and all sorts of cool things. Um, but, you know, he fights that while Annie does this incantation um, and then his hand reappears to, like, stab Annie in the back because she's reciting this incantation. But she manages to do it and then th at this point the trees are, like, beating on the house um, after having uprooted themselves and moving closer to the cabin and the, the beating on the roofs. Um, but, you know, this this big whirling vortex opens which tries to draw in the demon, um, you know, which by this point is this enormous puppet that's reaching through with, like, a tree hand that's kind of grabbed Ash and is, like, pulling him towards this amazing head that's in the door it's so cool um but then ash himself is just kind of lost you know and he dies unfortunately um i get why but it just just seemed that everyone around ash dies um and yeah he falls through this this sort of vortex um along with his car and the tree and lands in the Middle Ages, confronted by a load of knights who think he's a Deadite at first, but then this, like, harpy creature flies in and attacks, and Ash shoots it with a shotgun, and they call him a hero. But then he's like, they're like, oh, he's come to save us! And he just, like, breaks down, just like, oh, no, get me out of it! And... Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. There's still a bit more of a... There's still a disjointed element to it in terms of it's just idea after idea. Um, but the narrative, I think, is a bit stronger in this one. Um, and Ash's performance is better. You know, 
this is the the evolution of the ash that we know and you know he's becoming this character that that became so iconic and this is where it starts it's not in the first film it's in this film and you know there are dumb stupid moments like you know the 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 hand the demon hand grabbing plates and smashing him over the head with it and he's just doing pratfalls everywhere and he's throwing himself into this quite literally in some cases but oh my gosh is it fun to watch and the the splatter in this gets ridiculous there are jets of blood um but not in the same way as like the 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 pipes leaking blood in the first film these are geysers of blood that just explode from wounds and also it's so dumb but so very fun and very clever and fun to watch like yeah i i had a blast with this one <laughs> i really did um i think of of the three films this will be the one i probably watched the most um you know if i was if i'm gonna revisit them if i'm gonna revisit any of the evil dead films i think this is the one i'd watch it's very funny um still with the right elements of horror there that it's still definitely a horror film um but yeah it's it's fun and it's dumb and but in all the best ways it feels just schlocky um but good schlock you know a lot of schlock that's bad this isn't this is good schlock you will watch this for the experience of watching it and you'll enjoy it and it's it's worth doing for that exact reason so yeah evil dead 2 i had a really good time with this one really good evil dead 2 obviously went on to become a huge feather in the cap for sam raimi it was more successful than the first film um and it definitely had a bigger mark um on his career and this is what led to him continuing to this partnership with De Laurentiis and continuing making more movies with him um but you know he worked with one of his brothers and uh, created Easy Wheels which released in 1989 he wanted to make an adaptation of the pulp hero The Shadow but couldn't secure the rights um The Shadow would get his own movie with Alec Baldwin uh, in the early 90s, early to mid-90s, 1994, I believe. Um, but he couldn't secure the rights, so he did his own film, which was Dark Man, starring Liam Neeson. Um, and at this point, De Laurentiis was working with Universal and had engaged in a, a multi multiple picture deal with Universal. Um, and so... And so not only was Darkman one of those films, but so was the sequel to Evil Dead 2, which became Army of Darkness. Spiegel wasn't able to come back for Army of Darkness. Uh, he was busy rewriting a Clint Eastwood film called The Rookie that he was working on at the time. And so Sam and Ivan, uh, his brother Ivan Raimi, decided to co-write the film together. They'd 
um, worked on the script while producing Darkman. And after they finished Darkman, they then took it and worked on it in a bit more detail. Um, Sam Raimi said that Ivan had a good sense of character and that he brought more comedy to the script. And you can tell this is a much funnier f film. Um, and, you know, there was definite plan to get out of that cabin to to move on um, for the story and to use this medieval setting and do something different. Um, the title was originally called Medieval Dead, which I think I prefer, um, before eventually becoming Army of Darkness. Um, Army of Darkness itself came from an idea by Irvin Shapiro, um, based on the, the adverts that he took out for Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. Now, this one cost a lot more, um, and obviously this isn't just due to inflation. It was due to the bigger scope. Um, you know, the period medieval setting, you had to have extras in um, full-body suits of armour. There was a lot of puppet effects for the deadites. There's the whole army of darkness, the whole army of the dead um, that involved a lot more work. There was even more... Um, creature effects and more special effects like Evil Dead 2 most of the creature effects were handled by the team of Greg Nicotero who I've spoken about before in um, my podcast I'm a big fan of his work he's got a very diverse lineup of films that he's worked on um, you know everything from being involved in Predator to the George Romero films under um, Tom Savini um, through to The Walking Dead, um, but even on things like Serenity and Kill Bill and Hulk, um, you know, and Transformers and Spider-Man, you know, it, he's done a lot of stuff, um, a lot of very good stuff, a lot of stuff I've quite liked. Um, and, you know... His effects work is always usually quite good. And his effects work in this was on most of the special effects characters, um, but not on the main characters themselves. They had their own special effects team. And there was also Tom Sullivan, who had worked on uh, Within the Woods, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, who also contributed to visual effects, and he did some of his own stuff as well. <laughs> But, of course, a higher budget comes with studio interference. Um, while De Laurentiis um, gave Raimi and his crew pretty much carte blanche freedom to shoot the film the way they wanted to, um, Universal took over during post-production. Um, they weren't happy with Raimi's cut because they didn't like his original ending. The original ending of the film features... Um, Ash taking drops of a potion to sleep away the centuries. And he takes one drop too many and wakes up in a post-apocalyptic future. Now, I like that ending because it seems very much reminiscent of the, the sort of what-the-hell ending that Evil Dead 2 has. Because the ending of Evil Dead 2 that leads directly into Army of Darkness is an interesting one although there is again like with the the last film compared to the first film there is some slight retconning of 
um, the ending of the last one into this one. Um, again, probably helped, not helped by changing distribution and um, licensing. Like there, there was some licensing issues with this film. I know um, probably due to the involvement of Universal and the distribution rights they had, I know that certain elements from this could not be used in Ash versus Evil Dead. Um, so, you know, the common elements like Ash and Linda, the cabin and um, the Necronomicon can obviously be used, but elements such as um, Arthur, um, you know, uh, Henry the Red can't be used. Um, but they are obviously owned again, in some way, because they're now reappearing in the Evil Dead game. So whatever rights issues there were, I'm guessing have been cleaned up. Um, so yeah, this this film also has a very, very cool poster. Like, the poster is... It's a very Frank Franzetta-style picture of Ash with his chainsaw hand, shirt ripped, um, standing on top of his upturned Oldsmobile surrounded by the army of the dead um with the castle in the background and the female lead kind of draped around his leg um whilst uh, several mini versions of himself are trying to set him on fire <laughs> and so yeah universal got involved and the, they wanted the ending changed um they wanted some other changes to the scene as, as well um I do kind of like the the new ending that they added. Um, although it does make Ash look a bit too cool. Like, I like the idea that Ash is a dork. Because he is. He is a dumbass. You know, he's not meant to be a brave and capable action hero. He's an idiot who's in way over his head. Um, you know, he's a wise guy. Um, you know, the taglines for this film actually say that, you know, he's a wise guy. Um, but the proper definition of that, oh, a wise guy, eh? Um, so yeah, he's, he's cheesy. Um, and the ending, I think, makes him a bit too cheesy. It leans onto that way too hard. Whereas I like the idea of you know, Ash in this is pretending to be someone he's not because he knows more than they do. So he's acting more confident. Um, and then, of course, the, the narrative device in that original ending is he's telling that story to the people he works with. Um, so, of course, he's going to embellish his own role. Um, and, you know, it feels like if that's the case, if they then go and show that, no, actually, he is pretty capable and pretty badass. I don't know. It seems to invalidate that a little bit for me. Still cool, though. Like, both endings are good. Um, and I think which one you prefer is entirely up to you. Um, I'd say the the new ending by Universal while not the one preferred by Raimi, is definitely the, the canon ending based on Ash vs. Evil Dead. Um, like I said, it's not terrible, but... Yeah, I, I kind of liked it. 
<laughs> I, I did kind of like it. I, I get what they were going for with the original ending. Um, and I, while there are flaws I have with the new one, I still enjoyed it. Um, the actual film itself, though, is, again, very cheesy. There is some cheesy-ass stuff in this. Like when Ash like lunges for his chainsaw, hand outstretched, or stump outstretched, he doesn't have a hand on that side, um, you know, and inserts it into the chainsaw and then comes down and brings it down on the deadite. Um, that's very cool. Um, but again, so dumb. Um, a lot of his lines, like we get another groovy when he builds himself a hand, like an actual bionic hand almost out of like medieval tech. Um, you know, he turns his old mobiles into a, a steam engine death machine. Um, <laughs> it's so bizarre and so dumb, but I, I, yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, And it was fun, yeah. He he gets captured by the men of Lord Arthur, who suspect him of being a spy for Duke Henry the Red, who Arthur is at war with. Uh, I think the implication here is that it's meant to be like King Arthur, um, but it's not explicitly stated. Um, there's a, a wise man who works for Arthur as well, who's played by Ian Abercrombie, who is a actor I've seen in a few other things. Um... You know, um, he, he does he does pretty good work in this. Um, he sells the the wise man role quite well. I think the implication is that you know it's Arthur and he's Merlin, um, or at least it's meant to be reminiscent of that. Um, and he says that Ash can return home using the Necronomicon Ex Mortis, which they don't have. So Ash must search for the Necronomicon, and he's reluctant to do so until he gets attacked by a Deadite in the castle. Um, and then obviously goes off and does it. Um, when he finds the Necronomicon, he ends up getting um, chased by the demon into a windmill where he crashes into a mirror. The mirror shatters and small reflections of him then come out of the mirror shards. And it's played for comedy. Um... You know, played for played for a lot of comedy and very, very silly. There's like a the I watched the director's cut version for the most part and then watched the original the original the not the original ending, the theatrical ending. Um and I know the windmill scene was altered between the two. Um but in the version I watched like this this evil ash comes out of his shoulder and there's a lot of quite cool puppet work involved um and i don't know if it's green screen or or if they actually have just a very very good puppet head um but yeah he, he kind of buries this evil ash um but it's not the last we'll see of him he comes back um He finds three books. He has to guess which one's which. He gets traumatised by the two false ones before grabbing the other one. But before he 
he gets gets told words to say, which are Klatu Barada Nikto, which is obviously a reference to the day the Earth stood still. Um, but he mispronounces it. Um, and so that causes evil Ash to rise from the grave and bring a whole load of other deadites together as well. And even the deadites themselves, the voices for them, they are being dumb and silly and there are there's comedy in there it's clever um you know ash gets back he demands to be returned home he's already had a, a dalliance with um sheila i'm not sure if it's ever really explained who she is oh she's the sister she's arthur's sister um or, or the sister of one of his his knights I think she she lost her brother and she initially blames it on Ash. And Ash let the captured Henry the Red escape earlier on as well. Um, I'll bring that up because it becomes important. Um, Sheila's got attached to him. They, they slept together earlier on. Um, and she feels horrified about the fact that he's turning his back on them and sort of leaving them to die. And it's implied that yeah, this because Ash is, you know, he just wants to go home. He doesn't care about them. He's been through his stuff. He's he's, but also a bit of a douche. Um, <laughs> but then Sheila gets abducted by a flying deadite and is transformed into one when Evil Ash kind of forces himself on her, um, which again, aged badly in hindsight. Um, but it's interesting seeing her as the evil, evil Sheila, um, riding with evil Ash almost as his queen, the head of the army of darkness. It's kind of cool. Um, but her abduction is what prompts Ash to stay and to use his high school chemistry textbooks, chemistry and engineering textbooks, to turn the Oldsmobile into... Uh, a weapon of war. Um, he starts to mobilize the people, tries to train them how to fight. Um, you know, he asks for aid from Henry the Red. Um, and then you just end up with this big battle. And, you know, he manages to save Sheila. He manages to defeat the deadites he manages to bring peace between arthur and henry he manages to kill evil ash and yeah then he manages to return home where he tells this whole story um to co-workers who clearly don't believe him and then one female co-worker suggests she is interested but then another deadite attacks him um because once again it turns out ash got the words wrong because in this version, instead of taking a certain amount of drops, he has to say the words again. And, you know, he manages to kill the Deadite using the rifle. Um, does the whole hail to the king, baby, kisses the girl. And it's cheesy, and I kind of love it. The thing is, this isn't a horror movie. Like, I like this movie, but it is not a horror movie. 
uh, and not in the way that like Evil Dead Two was more of a comedy. Like this, like visually and tonally, does not feel like a horror movie. It feels like maybe a spoof version, but very similar to like the old fantasy epics. Um, you know. There's elements of like Jason and the Argonauts, and there's elements of Conan the Barbarian, and there's elements of, um, uh, you know, Excalibur in there. You know, it's a big. You know, it's a it's a sword epic. Um, there's still still definitely some horror moments, and you know the bit where he's being chased by the evil. Um, you know, using the same camera trickery that they used in Evil Dead 1 and 2. Um, it's definitely good, and it works. Um, and, you know, there's elements of the... Like, where he's being attacked by the mini-ashes in the windmill, which are so similar to... that They act almost like little evil pixies. <laughs> um, you know, rather than the the true horror of the Deadites that we've seen up until now, um, but they're dead. You know, they're not. It's not a horrifying scene. It's played for comedy. It's played for comedy in that scene. It's not horror. None of this is really horror. It's a fantasy story with some horror elements. And a lot of comedy. And that doesn't make it bad. Like, it's a good film. I enjoyed it. And, like I said, there's so many good quotes in this. So many good quotes in this one that I've heard throughout the years. You know, and some of those quotes come from Ash himself. Like, I have heard Ash's quotes said not by him but by other characters inspired by him um one that clearly springs to mind in just ripping off a lot of old lines like this is Duke Nukem like Duke Nukem says hail to the king baby and come get some and give me some sugar baby and it's like those are all lines that Ash says in this <laughs> you know And, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun lines. Like, the dead-eyed Sheila saying, you found me beautiful once, and him going, honey, you got real ugly. Or, and again, another one of her lines, she says, um, she says, like, I, I may be bad, but I feel so good. And it's just, it's fun and dumb. And, yeah, I really kind of love it. <laughs> I really, really kind of love it. But yeah, I I really had a good time with this. It was it was fun. And the battle scenes were quite fun. Um, you know, loads of these real puppets, you know, and yeah, they their movements are a bit janky at times, but seeing all of the skeletons actually on screen actually doing something um you know sometimes that's that's better and it's got a, a charm to it that 
modern CGI just doesn't have. Same with the stop motion effects, of which there are still some in this as well. You know, it's it's something you don't get anymore, and it's for the most part. I mean, I know there are still exceptions like uh, Cuba and the Two Strings, which was fully stop motion, uh, came out a few years ago. Um, but stop motion is the minority now, and there's something real about it. There's something. To, uh, there's something to be said by real effects, and I like that the Evil Dead film, the 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 twenty thirteen one, the remake, went hard going back to those sort of effects. Um, I also misspoke earlier, by the way, when I said um, Army of Darkness came out in ninety ninety two. It did in the fact that it premiered at the the Sitgas Film Festival, um, in nineteen ninety two. It wasn't actually released until nineteen ninety three, um, and so. The the new one came out 20 years after Army of Darkness. But it's... Yeah, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, and yeah, the watching all these films has, makes me want to go back and, and see more of this character. Um, Army of Darkness is, is... is very different. Like, this is the one I could probably show my kids... My kids are teenagers, um, and I'd I'd be happy with them. I'd, I'd be happy with watching them all eventually. Um, you know the they're younger teenagers, but at the same time, it's like I'd probably watch show them Army of Darkness first because it's the less straight up horror, and it's similar to more similar to what they've known before. Um. But I'd also definitely show them Evil Dead 2 when they're a bit older because I think they'd both love it. Um, my two oldest, I think they would they would really get a kick out of it because it's funny and dumb. And so, yeah, I had fun watching these and I recommend other people watch them because they are good. They are good. There's there's not much more I can say about them. They are good. I'd, I'd recommend watching them. If you haven't seen... Evil Dead already, go and give it a watch. You'll enjoy it. So, thank you for joining me once again, my friends. Um, this is a bit of a shorter episode. It's not really one of the regulation episodes I'm planning this season. I've got other stuff coming that's doing that instead. Um, I've got a lot of... A lot of watching to catch up on. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot going on um, that I'm watching in the background to try and get these episodes out um, before the end of the year um, because these are topics that I want to cover. Um, I do have one more Halloween episode coming um, that's going to be up, uh, hopefully, on Halloween itself, um, looking at Cabin in the Woods. Um, you know, this one's going up a couple of days early. Um, I, yeah, I enjoyed watching these Evil Dead films. I think if you haven't seen them, you will enjoy them. If you have seen them, if it was ages ago, watch it again. Um, 
and you know as always i'd love to hear your thoughts on this or anything else i discuss on this podcast uh, reach out to me at all the usual places hope you all have a great halloween whatever you end up doing hope you have loads of fun get loads of candy um and just have a great time personally i love halloween i i enjoy christmas as well but i I love halloween there's something about halloween that i really like and i always wish i did it bigger and better than i than i do um it's one thing the americans seem to have right is that they do have they make this big fuss on halloween um so yeah everyone look after yourselves look after your mental health and have fun this halloween enjoy the spooks enjoy the atmosphere until next time thank you my friends for once again joining me on gardo goes geek your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me and i am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes it means the absolute world now if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast we have a discord community small but growing and and we now have commissions open on ko-fi so if there's a topic you would like to see me cover you can pay me to cover it all funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where i do not have them have a look on the link tree for more information until next time look after yourselves